Good morning, everyone. <laughs> so this morning I have good news and I have exhortations. What do you want to hear first? If we were to begin with exhortations, we would assume that this sermon is about proper behavior and that our salvation would somehow depend upon it. Those are the kind of sermons that I have difficulty receiving. They make me feel inadequate, guilty, and unequal to the challenge. So let's begin with the good news that God has for us. But before that, let's pray. Bless, O oh Lord, your word to our hearing and to our minds. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. It was read to us by Pam and from First Peter. Peter says, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was destined before the foundation of the world and was made manifest at the end of times for your sakes. Through him you have confidence in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. This is the gospel, the good news. Things that were hidden from the beginning of the world, but now have been revealed. I do love that line where it says that he was destined before the foundation of the world. God planned this before time, before he made the world. To understand the context of these words that are delivered, it's necessary to say a few words about sacrifice. Sacrifice was at the center of Jewish religion. In fact, it is the origin of all religion and culture around the world. The beginnings were mostly hidden, but are made evident in the Bible. The Hebrew scriptures, being a history from the beginning, has a central theme of sacrifice to cement the relationship between God and humankind. From the time of Cain and Abel, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, the prophets, and in the days of Jesus, sacrifice was central. This is the context that the writer Peter uses to frame the work of Jesus on the cross. He presents Jesus' death as the ultimate, perfect, final, and effective sacrifice. Since the time of that writing, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and Jewish sacrifice was halted. And because of the ultimate and final quality of Jesus' sacrifice, attitudes to sacrifice have changed. It's been 2,000 years, actually. Sacrifice remains the highest human value. But it's not the killing of an animal or the offering of grain, but the giving of oneself. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, but to give his life for his friends. When we read the newspaper and we hear somebody who sacrificed themselves by diving into a river, say, to save somebody and then losing them, their, their life themselves, or when we think about the soldier in war um, himself being killed as he's trying to save his comrades, that's something we hold up in huge value in our society. 
So, but sacrifices changed from the from the uh, just the slaughter of animals. God no longer asks us to sacrifice according to the old futile system, but to offer ourselves as living sacrifices in response to the gift of Christ. For thousands of years, from the beginning of society, the sacrificial system functioned in all societies known and forgotten. But it was through Jesus Christ that God was reconciling the world to himself. And Jesus' death was more than a reform of the old system. It was a final putting away of sins and offenses, a new beginning of a relationship with God. By his death and resurrection, we have confidence and faith. We have been born anew through the living and abiding word of God. For Peter and for those he was writing to, this metaphor of the final and complete sacrifice resonated deeply. But it was not the only metaphor Jesus ever used. He submitted himself to death, but before he expressed himself saying, I am the good shepherd, I am the door. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There are as many ways to Jesus as there are believers. And he takes us to the Father. Fifty years ago, I prayed this prayer. God, if you exist, reveal yourself to me. Forgive me because of what Jesus did on the cross. And if you do, I will follow you all the days of my life. From that moment, God answered my prayer and became my reality. He has kept me to this day. And so for you who believe, who know the saving power, you will say to me, but there's so much more. I alone will never be able to plumb the depths of his love, but together we can begin to describe its dimensions. This is what we do every Sunday. Now, what is the result of this good news? We are made sons and daughters. And here begin the exhortations. They flow from what God through Christ has done for us and who we are now. Peter says, be obedient children. Having been cleansed, let's love one another. He says, prepare your minds for action. I think it means be ready, keep it together, be serious, be sober, get to work. These are important calls to action and service, considering our present situation and what God has done for us. There's a singer who says, I don't want to do it. I want to be it. And that's really something that resonates to my heart. These things that Peter is asking us to do have to flow out of our being. If we're just doing them, it's not real. We're stuck in a situation where we're on the outside. But if we're in the middle of it, if we are the children of God, truly, let's act like the children of God. Let's be the children of God. The second part of our passage also begins with an exhortation. It is not about um, getting it together, but rather letting go. 
But let's get to the second good news right away. The metaphors at play in this section are building a temple where the sacrifices happen. Peter says, come to him, Jesus, that living stone rejected by man, but in God's sight, chosen and precious. Come to him as living stones and be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is about coming to God as a group, as a family, as community. In this new building, I mean the spiritual building that we become part of, we have new relationships and new roles. Let's speak briefly about the context. The metaphors in play are of a temple where sacrifices are made. The temple in Jerusalem was where God would dwell and the people would come and make their offerings. The temple was of utmost importance and the chief focus of the society. But God's plan was even greater than any building. He didn't want to just dwell in a tent or a temple. He wants to dwell in and with men and women gathered. Remember what Jesus said about the temple. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He said, do you see these stones? There shall not be one stone left on top of another. Or imagine Jesus in the temple overturning tables, overthrowing the entire system of buying and selling animals and grains for sacrifice. God had a plan from the foundation of the world, foretold and foreshadowed in the scriptures and prophets. He says, behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. To you who believe he is precious, but to those who do not believe, the very stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Notice that God has the plan. He is the ultimate builder. He has chosen Jesus, the cornerstone, knowing that he would be rejected. In fact, that's part of the plan, the sign of authenticity. Christ was before all things, and he came to his own people, and they rejected him. And God exalted him over all things in earth and heaven and in the age to come. And so we come to him, the cornerstone, as living stones, and we are integrated into his holy building. His love and desire for us is not only individual, but corporate. Like stones were being fashioned to fit beside one another and to bear the weight of each other, together making up the building of Christ. We are also chosen and precious. Listen to what Peter says about us. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who carried you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were no people, once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. For those of you who know such things, can I get an amen? Is that true? <laughs> amen. <laughs> and, for the, and for those of you for, this, for whom this is new, just know that being in Christ by his life, death, and resurrection, and living by his spirit, and being part of his church's living stones, is fulfilled identity and belonging. And that's what the world is fussing about these days. Identity and belonging. Who am I? And to whom do I belong? Where do I belong? And this is as children of God and as living stones, who we are and where we belong. This is the gospel, that God before the foundation of the world chose Jesus to live, die, and be raised again. He is the precious Lamb of God. When we look at him, believe and trust in him, God receives us and we become his sons and daughters. He has prepared a place for us in the church where we fit in, where we are loved and have special things to do. Peter wrote this letter to the Church of the Dispersion, the exile church, at a challenging time. He exhorted them to put off all bad intent, insincerity, and envy, and like newborns, desire pure milk, which is the word of God. I will also consider you I mean, I'll, <clears throat> I'll say that again. I will also encourage you to consider what a great salvation you have, who loves you, who will never forsake you. And now when you look around and you recognize the chosen people of God, we realize that even without a minister, we are still a royal priesthood. So what I would encourage all of you to step up and step into the roles that Jesus is calling us into. Let us continue to worship and love one another, just as Jesus loves each of us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.